2: Hola Chargers fans, yo soy Steven y quiero darles la bienvenida a nuestro podcast Guilty as Charged y también decirles Feliz Cinco de Mayo. Buongiorno.
1: <laughs> How you doing Steven? Thank you for doing that introduction on Cinco de Mayo. I'm doing great man. Awesome. So today we're just talking about position battles on the roster. We know who was drafted. We know who the free agents are. We know who they traded for. Uh, we know who the undrafted free agents are. And so now we're going to expand and talk about the position battles on the roster. Jason is not with us here today. He is sick. So it's just me and Steven again. Uh, So let's get started. Let's get right into it. The first one we're going to talk about is the running back two battle, if you're calling Eckler the running back one. That's between Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson. I think this is a very interesting one. I would have assumed heading into the draft that Jackson was the clear-cut number two. Mm -hmm. Uh, But having drafted a guy in the fourth round, I think it's a little bit interesting. The Chargers... Certainly have a history of letting the best guy win. You know, he, Telesco has cut his draft pick the same off as he drafted him in favor of someone like Brandon Oliver. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this battle overall, and who do you think comes out on top? Well, I think I personally think
2: that Justin Jackson is the more talented runner. I think he has better vision and balance, and Jason is very uh, adamant about that same kind of thing. But just kind of talking to Gilbert Manzano and hearing what Anthony Lynn has said, I ultimately think that Joshua Kelly is going to be the de facto number two in this backfield. Um, I think if Eckler's getting 12 carries and you know getting six, seven targets a game, I think that's probably where Anthony Lynn wants him. As much as we all think that Austin Eckler can handle a workhorse uh, yeah. load, I just don't think we're going to see it. So I think he's going to use Joshua Kelly to kind of be the physical downhill runner that he wants. And, you know, Gilbert brought up a great point when once Melvin Gordon was back and up to speed on the offense and stuff, he went right back into the full workload and Austin Mm -hmm. Eckler's workload drastically decreased. So Anthony Lane wants a physical runner. I don't know if he would give Joshua Kelly the full workload this early on. I think Austin Eckler would still be the number one. But I think, listening to his comments, I think he views Justin Jackson as an Austin Eckler replacement or insurance, and I think he views Mm -hmm. Joshua Kelly as the Melvin Gordon replacement. So I think even though Justin Jackson is more talented and probably more athletic than Joshua Kelly, we just haven't seen him be on the field for very much. And so I think there's a bit of a worry from a coaching standpoint if Justin Jackson can handle the physicality of – being a number two runner
1: yeah absolutely we have not seen him do we not only have we not seen him be on the field that much he, It's not like he's been incredibly effective and there are games he's been amazing and like you said i do think jackson's the better guy but in 2018 he finishes the season with games of you know 1.7 3.6 1.7 7 yards per carry to close out the regular season and then in 2019 he starts off with three really good games then he misses five and he comes back and has two carries then he misses another three Plays another two games, and then misses another game. You know, finishing the season with 38 total touches. So I mean, yeah, like they haven't seen him that much. But I guess my next question is: I know, I guess, I mean, Eckler's the running back one, I suppose. Like he'll get probably the most touches, I would yeah. think. Or do you think Kelly ends up getting, or, or Jackson, whoever ends up being running back too? Like how much of this split it looks like last year, where Gordon got more of the touches, but Eckler was just like. Obviously, the better running back. Do you think it's more evenly split this time around? Like, how do you think that works out this year? Right now, I feel like Austin Eckler is going to get
2: 65, 60% of the touches just okay. because he. clear. I think he's clearly the best runner and I think he's, you know, the best weapon. But a mm-hmm. lot of that is going to come in the passing game, obviously. So, um, I think. At the start of the season, Kelly and Jackson might be splitting close to even the the rest of the touches. But I think by season's end, Joshua Kelly is going to get you know eight to twelve carries a game, and a lot of it's going to be you know the goal line, short yardage situations because he is the most physical. He is the most powerful of the three. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love Austin Eckler, we've seen him you know fumble in key situations down close in the goal line, and so Joshua Kelly is going to have his chance, and I think he probably scores seven or eight times this year just on goal line situations. So it'd be really interesting. And I do think right away the smart play would be to split Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson's workload pretty evenly and then let Joshua Kelly build up a rhythm, build up some confidence, and then eventually
1: give him the reins of the the 8 to 12 carries a game. All right, so the next one, the next one we'll talk about is wide receiver 3, another position that is going to be returning guys versus some draft picks. This one would be KJ Hill versus Joe Reed versus Andre Patton. I mean, obviously I don't think they believe in Patton at this point if you take two receivers to take your job. Yeah. Um, although I think this battle really comes down to KJ Hill and Andre Patton, and not because I think Joe Reed's not a like a better receiver or anything. I just think K J Hill versus Andre Patton fits kind of that wide receiver three mold. Whereas Joe Reed is going to be a guy who maybe even gets, you know, more touches, but not because he's the wide receiver three, but because he lines up in the backfield, because he's the you know, I guess this is special teams, but kick returner, punt returner, you know, he'll run with the football, he'll the screen, do stuff like that. But so I think this battle, even though Joe Reed might end up with more touches, I still think this is a KJ Hill versus Andre Patton battle. And who do you think comes out on top?
2: Yeah, just like you, I think snaps wise, this is going to be KJ Hill versus Andre Patton. I think Joe Reed, they're going to realize pretty quick that he is, you know, an explosive after the catch player, but he needs some work in the route running department. So that's going to be a key thing to focus in on him for him. So I think I could see him playing like 15, 20 snaps a game, but he gets the ball a lot in those snaps. Mm-hmm. And the difference between Patton and Hill for me, obviously KJ Hill is a superior route runner, but Andre Patton's a great blocker. And so mm-hmm. that's the thing. If they're going run run heavy, they need those really good blockers on the, on the perimeter, and that's Andre Patton. I don't know if that's KJ Hill. Um, I didn't see him do a whole lot of blocking. And, you know, Andre Patton, you know, for all of his faults, that's who he is, is is he's a nasty blocker, and so if him and KJ Hill are splitting reps, I wouldn't be surprised, but I mean, Andre Patton played a lot last year, and he had like 12 catches, so uh, I would expect KJ (laughs) Hill to be around the 400 to 500 uh, yard mark this season, and maybe Mm -hmm. give you like 35, 40 catches.
1: Yeah, makes sense, so do you think I guess, make a decision here. Who's winning, Hill or Patton?
2: I think it'll be K.J. Hill. Again, you know, we've seen this coaching staff want to ease in their rookies and make things easier on them. So I think at the start, Andre Patton would be getting more snaps, and then they would work K.J. Hill in. But K.J. Hill, I think he's going to, by season's end, he's going to be a really good player for this team and really reliable. And Gilbert Manzano mentioned this too. Like, you can do a lot of different things with him and Keenan Allen. Like, you don't always have to have – KJ Hill in the slot. You can put him on the outside, but Keenan Allen in the slot. So there's a lot of versatility there, and you know he's going to be a reliable player for Tyrod Taylor. So that's really what's going to help him
1: win a position battle like this. Yeah, I'm glad they got a guy like KJ Hill because I was looking at the roster and I was always worried. Like you can kind of replace Mike Williams, there wasn't really anybody on the roster who can replace Keenan Allen. Should Keenan Allen go down, and while Keenan Allen's been very, very, very consistent the last three years. You know, you got to keep that in the back of your mind that he missed a lot of time before that. So to have a guy like K.J. Hill, who's not Keenan Allen, but can at least do some of the Keenan Allen things, and let's say Mike Williams is healthy and does his regular thing, I think that kind of keeps the offense afloat a little bit should there be an issue. Hopefully not. Now, speaking of your Gilbert Manzano interview, I want to talk about Dan Feeney versus Forrest Lamp. Um, in particular, just at left guard, mm-hmm. uh, what would you make, you know, from that interview? What would you take from that interview? I personally think Feeney is going to be the guy regardless, um, barring injury, I guess. Uh, So what did you get from that interview, and then what do you think happens here? Yeah, like you, I think this is Dan
2: Feeney's job, and um, I think Forrest Lamb provides you a higher ceiling at left guard. I think he's the more talented player. But -hmm. similar to Jackson, we just haven't seen him on the field a whole whole lot. And Dan Feeney has been one of the most reliable players on the team for the last couple of years. So I think they're going to look at this situation and say, you know, we have a great right side. We have a very good starting center and Mike Pouncey or, or Questenberry or even Dan Feeney himself. Um, but it, Gilbert made it seem like Mike Pouncey's ready to go. So, yeah. If you have three positions on, from center to right tackle that are very, very good and you have a project left tackle, you want reliability at left guard, and that's going to be Dan Feeney. So whether we as fans like it or not, you know, I want Forestland to be out there. But, you know, as cliche as it sounds, availability is the number one ability you have as an NFL player. And Dan Feeney is always available. He's always reliable. Yep. And I don't think he's going to give you any PFF elite grades very often, but he's going to be very solid. <laughs> and he's going to do his job and not be terrible at it, but not be great either.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I want to talk about is that forest lamp to left tackle idea. Uh, I didn't really buy it to begin with. I think it was a great idea in 2017, maybe 2018, maybe even 2019. But at this point, you know, everything you know about how difficult it is to go from left tackle to guard or guard to tackle or whatever, you know, for him to play all this time at left guard and then now try left tackle. Like I get that he played it in college and he played it really, really, really well, but he's been playing left guard since 2017. Yeah, that's going to be so difficult. So I know Gilbert Manzano said he doesn't really buy it either that he's going to be playing left tackle. So this is this is basically Trey Pipkin's job. I don't think there's even a training camp battle. Um, if he plays at left tackle during the preseason, or if, if Lamp plays at left tackle during the preseason, that's great. He should. you know, He should play maybe both just because someone could go down and he needs to be available mm-hmm. f- at some spot. I just don't buy it. So, I mean, I don't think you buy it either at this point. No,
2: when they signed Russell Okung, I figured that they would put Forrest Lamp at right tackle. I figured mm-hmm. that once... I figured that he would compete with Joe Barksdale at right tackle and then he would obviously win that job, but you know, went to Sam Tevy after Barksdale went down. So I agree with you that Forrest Lamp is probably the best backup and I think if anyone goes down at either tackle yes, spot, absolutely. it should be Forrest Lamp to come into the game. And mm-hmm. whether that's left guard or right guard or, or if anyone goes down, bring in Forrest Lamp as the first guy. Like I don't want to see Sam Tevy anymore. I don't want to see Trent Scott like Yeah, and God. Forrest Lamb can still have a good career as a backup, but it seems like mm-hmm. if he doesn't win this battle this year, I, I don't know if he's going to start ever, unless it's due to injury, like you said. And the Trey Pipkins thing, I think unless they sign Jason Peters, I think this is Trey P- Pipkins' job, which is fine. I think if you have a developmental left tackle, like I was saying, if you have one weak link on the offensive line, that's much better than anything the Chargers have had in the past. And... You know, you can do a lot of different things with your left tackle with a mobile quarterback to make things easier for him. So, you know, we have this typical Phil Rivers lens on our eyes for the last 15 years where it's like, oh, the left tackle position is going to be a disaster. But, you know, they can do a lot of different things to make things easier on Trey Pipkins and Dan Feeney on the left side and just focus everything on the right side. Bootleg right for Tyrod, bootleg right for Justin Herbert. And that's one of the things I talked about in my Justin Herbert videos. It makes things easier for the quarterback. It makes things easier for the mm-hmm. left tackle, and it gets people in a rhythm on offense overall.
1: Well, thank you for that segue, because I want to talk about the <laughs> next battle on this roster. I don't think this is going to be a battle. Lynn says there's going to be a competition, but I don't think at any point, at least before week one, I don't think Justin Herbert's going to overtake Tyrod Taylor. There are things that Justin Herbert does, That Tyrod Taylor cannot do, Justin Herbert is a bigger guy. He can throw it. He's an amazing arm talent. Other than that, it's not like you have Phillip Rivers and you're trying to get Tyrod Taylor into the game because he is mobile and he'll limit turnovers. I mean, Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, they're both mobile. They will both limit turnovers. And just because Justin Herbert has a better arm and is more athletic, at least in terms of physicality, I don't think that means he's going to you know, start over Tyron Taylor anytime soon. There's nothing really there that Justin Herbert has to close that gap between him and Tyron Taylor all that much. So I just think this is Tyron Taylor's job for 16 games plus this year. Yeah, I agree with you.
2: And, you know, we've talked about this same thing a bit. You know, if there was a regular offseason, sure, let Justin Herbert start. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think the best case scenario here for Justin Herbert is that he gets a training camp and that's it. So yeah. Anthony Lane has become a a master and coach speak and I think that's what this is. He's he doesn't <laughs> wanna make it seem like they're not gonna give Justin Herbert a fair chance, but Yeah. Barring injury, this is gonna be Tyrod Taylor's season, and I think he's gonna do very well and, and I know you agree with that. And Yes, I do. I think a lot of people have this negative connotation around him from his Cleveland days, and that just needs to stop. Because the Cleveland coaching staff, they all got fired, first of all. They were all bad at their jobs. Mm -hmm. And they were not creating an offense for Tyrod Taylor. They were planning for Baker Mayfield to take over at some point. This offense is going to be tailor-made for Tyrod Taylor. I mean, it's obviously going to be tailor-made for Justin Herbert, but Tyrod Taylor is a perfect fit for what Anthony Lynn is going to be doing and Shane Steichen this, this year. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I, you know, We talked about his ceiling. I don't know if the Chargers could win a Super Bowl with Tyrod Taylor, but I'm mm-hmm. pretty confident that they will we'll be in the playoff hunt. And you know, if they win a wild card game, I would not be surprised. So this offense is going to be very different, but it's going to be all Tyrod and it's going to be him all season long. Unless he gets hurt, I don't think Justin Herbert really can do anything to overtake him this year.
1: Do you think there's a shot if because the Chargers for some reason have had a really late buy the last couple of years, like at least as far as I'm paying attention as a fan, yeah. I feel like they always have like a week 8, week 9, week 10 kind of buy. What was last year, week 12 or something really really late. Is that at least is that the earliest you'll see Justin Herbert come in after that buy or do you think it's just it's just completely Tyrod's team from here on out?
2: Yeah, unless this team is like really struggling and and clearly needs mm-hmm. a spark of of youth. I don't think that Justin Herbert should play in the first two-thirds of the season. Like, mm-hmm. with the limited reps that he's going to have because of the shortened off season, you know, he's going to need to have practice reps to be ready. So, if they decide to play him, the best week to do that is over a bye week. You give him two yeah. weeks of practice as the starter. And like you said, if it's week 12 and the team is, you know, four and six, then yeah, by all means, go for it. But if they're sitting in in Week Ten and they're seven and three or six and four, then it should be Tyrod's show to continue that because you know we've seen that nine and seven gets you into the playoffs in the AFC. Yeah. So as long as they're in the playoff hunt, it should be Tyrod's job. And even then, it has to be like it can't just be like oh we're gonna give it to Herbert and he's gonna be the guy. Like there has to be a plan because the last thing yeah. that you want is to see Justin Herbert come in. And, you know, there's all this fan pressure to see him start games and be playing and be the guy. And then they put him in against like before the Vikings game from last year, for example, where they just have no way to succeed. And that's what happens so often with these rookie quarterbacks is when they do come in, it's just fan pressure and owner pressure. And so the coaching staff doesn't have the ability or the time to make an offense around him that works. And that's my fear is that they're sitting at four and seven and they You know, the owner wants to see Herbert and the fans want to see Herbert and they put him in and he's not ready and they put him in in a position where he's not able to succeed. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely a worry that I have for Justin Herbert because he needs those reps. He needs time to prepare mentally and physically for the NFL. And I don't think he's ready right now.
1: So how would you build this offense around? I know you've been watching a little bit more Justin Herbert tapes. So how would you build this offense around him? And does Tyrod Taylor run pretty much? The same thing so it's an easy transition for this offense yeah i
2: think it's going to be an easy transition because i think with tyrod taylor you can do so many different things with the read option game and that's what justin herbert did all the all the time in oregon you know yeah i send this to you they ran plays out of the pistol like every other play was a pistol formation for oregon so i think there's a definite clear path a, a clear segue from tyrod taylor to justin herbert that we can see but it's going to be a run heavy offense for both of them. And both of them are going to have the opportunity to create some some uh running lanes with their legs and be able to do some things uh in the option game and like I mentioned the bootleg thing. I think Justin Herbert one of his best attributes is his accuracy on the run. Um so I think you bootleg yeah. him out and I think you're really going to see this offense kind of shift into the Shanahan read option, mobility kind of offense. And I think that really fits Justin Herbert's game. And it fits
1: Tyron Taylor's game too. All right, so let's go from the most important position to the, I don't know, not as much important position. That'd be the strong safety two battle, I guess. The Chargers really benefited from having depth behind Durbin James last season because they had to roll through James, then Phillips, then Teamer, then Watkins. And luckily they had Watkins. Um, But for now, it's just Roderick Teamer versus sixth-round pick Alohi Gilman. You've been also telling me you've been watching a lot of tape on Gilman, and you don't think that Gilman (laughs) is going to have a shot at this job. No, at
2: least not this year. Um, He was actually a question from one of our Patreons. Um, I I just, in space, Alohi Gilman is really going to struggle. If he has the Mm -hmm. free reign to just come down to the line of scrimmage and just rush through gaps and take on blockers and, and just hit you then. Yeah. That he can do that. That's his strength is he's a powerful hitter. He takes on blocks well, but he takes such bad angles outside and in space. And he, people make him miss very frequently because he takes bad angles. He's limited athletically. And that would just kind of scare me if he came in. And, you know, granted, it would scare me if project Teamer came in too. But <laughs> <laughs> I think Teamer, for all of his, you know, inefficiencies and lack of athleticism, I think he understands angles. I think he's a smarter football player. And mm-hmm. he's better in coverage. Like I mentioned to you before we came on, there were these plays where Notre Dame would put him kind of in the middle at like 10 yards and just kind of track the the crosser routes and track the running backs out of the backfield. And he just, he's so indecisive. He doesn't know what to do with himself in those kind of situations. So if you put him on an island against a tight end, he's going to get burned. But, I mean, so is Roderick Teamer. <laughs> so <laughs> I think if, if either of these guys come in, I think it's going to be a bit of a scary thought. Um, you know, you mentioned Jalen Watkins. If they were able, is he still a free agent? I don't even know, but... No, I think he's he's with somebody else. I just can't remember okay. who. Okay, well that's annoying. Um, <laughs> I mean, good for him. I hope he's I hope he plays more. But yes, so, yes, absolutely. But I think they should bring in a, a veteran who can kind of do the same kind of thing and, and bring more competition because I don't think either of these two are ready. I think if you have to mm-hmm. choose one, it'll be Teamer because he has that experience because he, he is smarter and he does understand
1: angles better. I guess the other guy I want to bring up then, and we do have him, we are going to bring him up later, so we might as well just do it now. Nasir Adderley needs to get on the field somehow. Yeah. I, have, I have written down here, Nasir Adderley versus Rayshon Jenkins, Nasir Adderley versus Desmond King, Nasir Adderley versus Michael Davis. Is there a chance that he even competes for strong safety too? Like, he needs to get on the field somehow, and I feel like, you know, I don't, I'm actually he's not a bad hitter. Could he play strong safety, like if he asked, if it was asked to?
2: That's tough. I think his best his best position is free safety. I think that's where yeah. we want to see him, and I think that's where the coaching staff wants to see him. Um, and I do think Rayshon Jenkins does get too much hate from Chargers fans. I think a lot of that comes from Anthony Lane calling him elite. But we make we make yeah, jokes about fair. him, but it's just not fair to kind of put yeah that kind of pressure on him as a player to call him elite when he's clearly not. Um, yeah. But when Rayshon Jenkins was in the Adrian Phillips strong safety dime backer role, I thought he played really well in the playoffs, and I thought he was one of the main reasons that they were able to beat the Ravens in the playoffs in 2018. Mm -hmm. So when they came out and said that they were going to move him to free safety, and then they drafted Nasir Adderley, I was really just confused. Yeah, Um, So I'm like, why are you spending a second-round pick on Nasir Adderley if you're not going to play him at his position? Um, But, yeah, I want to see Adderley on the field. I know he can play corner. I would be really Mm -hmm. intrigued to see him go up against Michael Davis in camp and just kind of see how that would work out. Sure. I just want to see him on the field. And, you know, if Derwin James goes down, I think the best plan of action would be to put Jenkins at strong safety and put Adderley at
1: free safety. You read my mind. I was going to ask you that exact same thing. Is that pretty much the only way we're going to see Adderley in a starting role, at least early on, if James goes down? Yeah,
2: it's just some, it's very similar to the forest lamp thing. Like, I th- think if he doesn't win the job in the next couple of years, because Jakins is a free is a free agent, and if he plays at the same level or more, then the team is going to bring him back because Anthony Lynn loves him and Tom Tlustka loves him. So I think if Nasir Adley doesn't play great this year, I think it's going to be a while before we see him f- as a full on starter, which is just really unfortunate and sad for a guy that we were all we all wanted him to be taken in the first round.
1: Right, absolutely. So the fact
2: that they were able to get in the second round was like, wow, this is a steal. This is going to be awesome. Uh, he's a perfect complement to Derwin James, and then now he can't get on the field.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue to my next guy because I'm going to talk about Jerry Tillery <laughs> versus, I guess, Justin Jones. Uh, Yeah, that was interesting. Tillery was a, a healthy scratch in Week 14. Yeah. I mean, he went from they tried to throw him in there more when some guys were hurt to completely peeling him back. And I get it, it was more of his... You know, red shirt, freshman, whatever kind of year. He wasn't expected to do a whole lot coming off of that shoulder injury, I believe. You know, but Justin Jones never finished the season at less I don't I don't think at least, less than sixty percent of the snaps during any game. Or Tillery by the end of the season was kind of at like a thirty percent. Is there I mean did you watch any Tillery film, I guess, and was there any improvement to warrant him in a short off season somehow jumping in front of Jones, or is this still Justin Jones you think week one? Well, it's weird because after he got the healthy scratch thing, I think he
2: improved the last few games. Mm -hmm. Me personally, like when they drafted him, a lot of people were comparing him to what the 49ers would be able to do with DeForest Buckner. Um, Just from a pass rush standpoint and from a size standpoint, like I understand that Mm -hmm. because as a pass rusher, I think he offers a lot of upside. Yes. But I think Justin Jones is clearly a better player against the run. And I think he's, more consistent. I think he plays with a higher motor. Like that's my biggest issue with Jerry Tillery is that he, I don't feel like he always is engaged at 100%. Whereas Justin Jones, I know he's going to come in and he's going to fly around and he's going to make plays. I don't know if Jerry Tillery is that, which, you know, maybe they have seen enough from him and maybe they're all ready to go all in on Justin Jones this year. And I think that would be understandable, Mm -hmm. but Again, unless Justin Jones is injured, I don't know how much Jerry Tillery is going to be playing. Like, I think if you have a, a special role for him as a pass rush specialist, he can play twenty games, twenty snaps a game, excuse me, and be okay at it, and you know get four or five sacks, and I think that's fine for this year. But you know, they drafted him in the first round. Like, eventually he has to be the
1: guy. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it was just a waste of a pick. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the pick. What do you think of him playing maybe? If you can't beat out Justin Jones, what if he beats out like Isaac Rochelle?
2: Yeah, that would work. I think, you know, they did a lot of that kind of thing with Damien Square where they put him at the three technique and put him as, you know, the end whenever they would put Melvin Ingram over the guard. And, you know, right. I would rather have that be Jerry Tillery than Isaac Rochelle because, like, I've seen on film Isaac Rochelle, he can beat his guy, but that's, there's no production with Isaac Rochelle. With Jerry Tillery, at least I feel like there would be some production. So if you put him on the end, I think he's quick enough. I think he's big enough where he could do a better job than Isaac Rochelle for sure.
1: All right, let's move on to another person from that class, and that's Drew Tranquil. Now, I believe because we're projecting Kenneth Murray to play Will, we're we're kicking Drew Drew Tranquil inside to Mike, which he did last year with Denzel Perryman. I think... And last, I was a victim of this last year. I, when I heard that Perriman was going to get the start again over Tranquil in the middle, I was like, oh, my God, that's a terrible idea. Why would you do that? Tranquil's been playing pretty well. Might as well just ride with the guy from here on out. But Daniel Popper, the smart person that he always is, said, look, li- not looking, listen, you know, Perriman, yeah, he might start as the starter, I guess, but Tranquil will probably get more snaps, and that's what ended up happening. Do you kind of see that happening again this year? If Murray plays well and Tranquil kicks inside, or do you think Tranquil can just take it outright? That's tough. I think, you know, Denzel Perryman is a free agent this year. So I think
2: by season's end, I think George Tranquil should have the role on lockdown. Mm. But Denzel Perryman still has value as a run stuffing linebacker. So if he's technically starting, I'm okay with it because he is very good against the run. Like if he only played yes. on first downs, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Like that makes sense. Yeah. And then so you give thirty percent of the snaps to Perryman and he's technically the starter, I think that's okay. And you know, I think we can consider both of them starters if Perryman and if uh Trinkel is playing the majority of snaps, I mean. So I I, I know Jason isn't super high on Drew Twinkle, and I know fans on Twitter are kind of overvaluing him. So I'm kind of right mm-hmm. in the middle of Drew Trankle. I really like him, but I don't think that he's like this amazing linebacker like he has perceived on Twitter. I really like him, and I know that he, again, the effort thing, I know that Drew Trang was going to come in and give his all, and he's got really good range, he's got good athleticism, and he's smart. So I get it. Like, I, I understand why Chargers fans like him so much. Um, but I think Denzel Pearman still has value, and I think that as a run-stuffing linebacker, you need that kind of juice. You need that energy that he provides, and – Especially in goal line situations where he's made plays repeatedly, where he blows up goal line stands. So,
1: really good point. Yeah. I think
2: Denzel Perryman still has value, and if he's pers- if he is labeled a starter, I think that's different than what the team is actually going to do with Drew Tranquil.
1: If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, it makes sense. I totally get it, and I pretty much agree. That's I think that's going to be the case heading into the season, at least early on. But yeah, if, if Perryman's a free agent next year, you you want to see Tranquil take those those snaps by year's end. The last guys I want to get into are tying back into our last episode regarding undrafted free agents. We've already talked about Isaac Rochelle, but he's got guys like Joe Gaziano and Jesse Lemonnier breathing, breathing down his neck. I don't think Rochelle sticks around. It wouldn't surprise me just because the Chargers will stick with their guys that they drafted. Like, that just seems like something that they will do. Yeah. But they have some interesting options there. So of the two, of Joe Gaziano and of Jesse Lemonnier, who is more like that Isaac Rochelle guy? Because, I mean, personally, I think Lemonyne is more like a Ingram backup, but Ingram's got Uchenna and Mosu behind yep. him. So do you think Gaziano kind of just wins it because he's more like Rochelle? Yeah, I think Gaziano is definitely the better fit for what
2: Isaac Rochelle's role is. I think I agree with mm-hmm. you that Lemonyne is more Uchenna and Mosu than Isaac Rochelle. Yeah. And so it's really interesting because when Rochelle comes in, it almost feels like they just have him set the edge and, like, they don't really... I want to say unleash because I don't think that he would, he's being held back at all. But like Mm -hmm. if Joe Gaziano came in and it was just like, Joe, you just sit the edge, you know, if you can win your battle, like go for it. We just want you to come in and be solid, set the edge, play with a high motor. I think Joe Gaziano can do that and and excel in that kind of role. Um, He's not the quickest guy. He's not the best athlete, but he's very fundamentally sound and he's very strong and is really good in the run game. So, I could see them holding on to Lemonier just because he is more athletic and he does provide a little more upside but mm-hmm. Joe Gaziano, I, th- I would have been fine if they had drafted him in the sixth or seventh round you know it's really hard to ignore that production against the big ten uh, big Ten offensive tackles and yeah I can see him making the roster for sure I think he besides Bobby Holly I think he probably has the best chance of making the roster
1: of the UDFAs. Well, let's transition to that because <laughs> you are you are like setting me up perfectly today. Anyway, fullbacks, last one I want to talk about, Bobby Holly versus Gabe Neighbors. We've talked about this. I think Neighbors is a fine player. I wouldn't be surprised if he made the roster. Actually, I would be because buddy, Bobby Holly is amazing. The fullback. Yeah. He's the guy. Like, with all respect to Derek Watt. Derek Watt is incredible at those short yard runs. He somehow finds a way to pick up that first down. He's great on special teams. But I never saw Derek Watt do what I've seen Bobby Hawley do. Now, in college, of course, it's different. But Bobby Hawley is just something we haven't seen since the last guy who wore 41, which is what Bobby Hawley is going to wear this season, which is so cool. Is it pretty much just Bobby Hawley or bust for you at this point? Yeah,
2: 100%. And you mentioned the Lorenzo Neal thing. like The fact that they let bobby holly keep that number 41 Mm -hmm. like i know it's just numbers and i know they're undrafted free agents and all but like like come on like if they didn't think that he was going to make the (laughs) roster they would have given him like number 37 or something like that like (laughs) you can't slap lorenzo neal's number on a fullback and then not have him make the roster (laughs) Uh,
1: that's a good point
2: like you said though i think gabe neighbors has if he does make it over bobby holly it's because they value his special teams experience Um, Mm -hmm. I think as a receiver, the kind of a wash, I think both of them are okay as receivers. I think neighbors is a little more nuanced in his route running, but Bobby Holly can do the same kind of thing. And, you know, I never saw neighbors carry the ball at all on any of the games that I watched him. And I watched like six or seven Florida state games from this last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Bobby Holly has a nose for the end zone. Similar to how Derek Watt does, and he can do some different things yes, absolutely. As, as a runner. But the number one thing you want out of a fullback is blocking. And Bobby Holly is a better blocker than a bunch of linemen I studied this year. So, <laughs> like, he has these moments where he just wants to take you off the screen. Like, he's... It's incredible. He's nasty. And even against LSU, where you think, oh, this is Louisiana Tech. Like, it's not a small school, but... You think that these guys would come into Death Valley and be intimidated. And it was like, no, Bobby Holly got after it. <laughs> and I can't remember which LSU player it was, but he wanted to get him off the field. Like he's like, no, 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 no. This mm. is my field. This is my end zone. And so he just brings everything that I want in a fullback. And
1: yeah, you know, I I'm all in on Bobby Holly. Yeah, me too. I was I was actually watching that game. I was I was hoping that the player I know you are talking about what player you're talking about. I was hoping that was Patrick Queen. <laughs> it, wasn't. it wasn't. I don't know who it was. It was another defensive, like single digit number defensive back or something like that. It was like number seven or nine or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, that was the play that stood out for me because it was like the third play that came on where he just takes the guy and you're watching him. He's going from like the field goal post to like the pylon with this other guy. And then after the snap, or after the whistle, he's still fighting with the yeah. guy. And the next play, he takes another guy from the field goal post to the right pylon. I said, like, you got to be kidding me. This guy just loves to do his fullback job, but I never considered that though. Like, yeah, if you put 41 on this guy, you're yeah, he you should make the team. Like, you're giving him 41. I wonder if he request. I mean, I guess he had to request that, but that's a that's a statement. I would love to see a 41 out there. That's a big deal for Chargers fans, and I know Chargers fans are super super high on him because of. Well, I I I blame us. I feel like we started that revolution there. It was like. You know, all three of us started tweeting at him on like or tweeting about him on like Monday night at like 11 o'clock. <laughs> you know, Bobby Holly had like, I mean, I checked. He had 174 followers before we even like nobody knew who Bobby Holly was like even Gaziano has like 2000 followers. I'm not saying followers are everything. And Holly's not really on Twitter, but the guy was, like, you know, less Twitter followers than most any other account I've ever seen but I think he's at like 350 now. Anyway, that's irrelevant. We think it's going to be Bobby Holly. I think he's going to make the roster. I think he has the best chance of making the roster. Is there anyone else, any other position that you'd like to talk about in terms of training camp or preseason battles?
2: Well, Gilbert Manzano kind of mentioned what they're going to do at corner, and I know that Chris Harris is going to be like the quote-unquote starting nickel,
0: mm-hmm. but... It-
2: it's going to be really interesting to see how they dish out the rotations there because Chris Harris can play outside. You know, mm-hmm. he thinks Desmond King can play outside. I don't know. We've never really seen that. And then you have Michael Davis, who the team really likes. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they dish out the snaps. And I think in my in my kind of world, like I would want Chris Harris to play 10-15 snaps on the outside just to kind of limit the kind of things and mistake opportunities for Michael Davis or Brandon on. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's definitely something I'll be paying attention at during training camp because, yeah, you know, I think so many people perceive Michael Davis as the weak link on the defense, and if you have Chris Harris mm-hmm. and Desmond King, you can, you know, those are two former All Pro nickel corners. So you got to You want both of them to be out there. So maybe they play more dime packages more often to get both of them on the field. Maybe Desmond King is
1: in the Adrian Phillips role. So it'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Like, I, I, yeah, Michael Davis is penciled in as the outside starter. No, I don't think Desmond King is going to play outside. I don't think I've ever mm. seen him play outside. I don't think ever. But who knows? I mean, he's good at taking the ball away, but he's also like five, you know, five ten. He's not. He's going to have a hard time out there. He's not particularly fast. It's, it's not coming out of college. I'm not saying Chris Harris is really big either, but you know, King. If he struggles with anything, it's it's coverage right now, and he's not very big. So putting him out there would be kind of tough against. I don't know Henry Ruggs. For the love of God. Oh, that's gonna be terrible. Um, yeah. What the heck do they do? But anyway, it'll be a really interesting, interesting battle because you can stick Adderley, Davis King. Yeah. What is it, Harris, out there? You know, there's a lot of options. Face on. Who knows? Like no one's talking about face on. You know, he could take the job by the time training camp rolls around. Okay, actually, let's talk about that. Davis versus face on. Oh um, man. <laughs> who do you who do you start out there? I'm not really. It's pick your poison. I think face on's the tackler. Davis is the coverage guy. Yeah. But you know. You can't just like, you know, have one guy play first down, the other guy play, you know, second. Or I, know. Third down.
2: I I was gonna say I, I kind of view this very similar <laughs> to like Perryman versus Tranquil, where like I could yeah. see face on playing exclusively like on first downs, like just to be sure, yeah. like that they have a sure tackler back there. But sure, you know, I think Michael Davis, you know, he makes mistakes in coverage and he gets some defensive pass interferences because he doesn't turn his head around. But I think for, for the, the most, most part, he does a pretty good job in coverage, and he is a good athlete. But it's just the tackling issues for me. Like, yep. opposite of Casey Hayward, I would rather have a guy who struggles in coverage but is a really good tackler, than someone who mm-hmm. is okay in coverage but really struggles in tackling. Because yeah. when Casey Hayward drops deep, you know, typically that corner stays short or he stays in man coverage, and you know, we saw in Mexico City, you know, he did really well in deep coverage for a couple plays, and then they just started doing some short passes over there, and and he really started to struggle because he's a bad tackler. So. It's it's a tough one, and I think in the, you know, Gus Bradley, what he's kind of thinking of right now, I think he's kind of viewing this team as as almost like a small ball basketball lineup where he can just move guys around mm-hmm. and, and just focus on the mismatches. So that'll be really interesting. But like I said, like for me, I would rather have the sure-handed tackler out there if I have to choose one of those two. I'm taking face on. I know like that's not popular and I know people don't like face on, but he's a better tackler. It's as it's that simple
1: to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we will see. And for all of these, we will see, this is just who we're projecting right now. I feel comfortable about most of these. I can kind of guess who's going to be the starter or the number one guy for the number two spot. Uh, So I don't really think there's going to be huge surprises. There's not really a lot of spots on the roster that are open for other undrafted free agents and other guys. So I think you just, you know, if you make an early 53-man roster, it's still 53, right? They didn't change yeah, it this offseason? it changes next off season. Okay. So if you're making a 53-man roster right now, you're probably going to be 95% correct. Like, I don't think there's going to be huge surprises here, barring, like, Derwin James getting his foot stepped on and his, and his screw yeah. bent in his foot. So Teamer has to make the team. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, and I hope that doesn't happen. Um, so that's pretty much it for us. Quick episode today. Steven, where can they find you on
2: Twitter. Follow me, Stephen I. Haglund or GSE Podcast 17. Um, we have been seeing a bit of an increase in Patreon, so we, we thank you guys for who, who have recently joined us. Um, I'm going to keep doing the film breakdowns. Uh, I'm doing Alohi Gilman next, and then I'll jump back into Kenneth Murray and doing some of the other first-round picks, or not first-round picks, the other rookies and UDFAs. And then once I get to all the rookies, I will go back to do some players from last year. So stay tuned for that. There's going to be a lot of good stuff on Patreon coming from our end.
1: Yeah, Steven's doing a lot of really good work on Patreon, at least in terms of the videos right now. Like every time I watch, and the videos aren't that long, they're, but they're a good 20, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so, depending on who the player is. And I learned a lot. Like there's something I learn about, you know, football nuances. You know, what is what should Justin Herbert be looking at for just read option? Or um, I didn't know that like Mackay Becton in, in this one other video you did, you know, took a step back before he went forward to block the run block or something like that. You know, there's a lot of things that you point out that I think are really, really cool, and they're very I, – I learn a lot. So they're really good. You guys should definitely check them out. As for Jason, who's not here, he's at Centauri13 on Twitter, at GAC Podcast 17 on Instagram. And then for me, this is Tyler. You can find me at TylerJShoon on Twitter, or you can search the Guilty as Charged podcast up on Facebook and find our Facebook page. Which is just kind of hanging out for right now until we get closer to training camp uh, thank you guys for listening very much again thank you for your patreon support thank you for your reviews on apple please review us wherever you find us have a great rest of your week we'll see you guys on friday
0: i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast